0: Welcome to The Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Good evening, happy Monday to all of you, and welcome to The Theology Mom Podcast. I'm Krista Bontrager, and I hope by God's grace that you and your family are st- staying well and healthy. I am still battling a little bit of a um, cold like virus, we'll call it. And um, so I am pre recording again tonight, just in case I have a coughing spasm, we can edit it out. Because as you know, with a certain cold like virus, that coughing spasm can be apocalyptic. But I wanted to continue the conversation that we started uh, last week about The Chosen. I've had so much um, positive feedback. Many of you found the stream helpful, gave you some new things to think about, appreciated the analysis, and we're just gonna continue that tonight. Um, So please make sure to like the stream, share the stream with your friends, your pastor, and um, people that you know that love The Chosen, that maybe their eyes haven't yet been opened to certain issues. Um, and uh, maybe share it with your the students in your life, the teenagers, to help them think critically and uh, to sharpen their analysis skills. So make sure that you are also subscribed on YouTube because sometimes YouTube likes to help you decide to unsubscribe. Not really sure how that works, but... Make sure that you are subscribed and so you won't miss the next time I go live. So this episode in particular is going to be a deep dive into two very common and specific claims related to the Church of Jesus Christ and of Latter-day Saints. I'm going to address two key objections. And these are the objections that I hear on my social media coming up time and time again. So claim number one that I'm going to address is Dallas Jenkins is smuggling LDS theology into the series. This is something that many people have written on my social media. So I thought, okay, that's a claim. I will look into that claim. Claim number two is that Dallas Jenkins thinks LDS people worship the same Jesus as historic Christians. Okay. So these are the two claims that this stream is going to address. Now, before I get into all of this, I do want to say a quick word about an observation that I've seen on social media. Um, I have observed a lot of I'm going to call them ungracious comments uh, from historic Christians toward members of the LDS church or about their belief system. There are a fair number of comments of people, even on my social media, who speak about LDS people and LDS beliefs in fairly dehumanizing ways. Quite frankly, if I was a member of the LDS Church, I would never go seek some of you out for help if I was questioning my faith or if I wanted to know more about Christianity. Um, There are a number of people that have come on my page that if I was an LDS member and you were in my family, I would just be like, no, this person isn't safe. I can't go explore my questions with Uncle Joe Or Aunt Jean, because I've seen their posts on social media and they talk in crazy ways about people like me. As I like to say, that's not a party I wanna go to. So that is not going to be my approach in this video. Now, I wanna be clear that I have disagreements with LDS theology. As Dallas Jenkins has said in nearly every interview I have watched with him, he has said this very clearly. I have differences of beliefs and theology with members of the LDS church. He has said that very plainly. I am also saying this plainly. But I know for some of you, you will not be satiated until I condemn everything in you know, in the most strong terms. And that's just not what I am going to do. My hope is to always talk about differences in a way that doesn't so completely villainize the the point of view that I'm disagreeing with, that it dehumanizes the people who hold that belief. Because I want those people to come seek me out if they ever have legitimate questions about their faith or their belief system or their worldview, that they want to investigate other possibilities. I want to present Other people's positions as fairly as I can. My friend Ken Samples calls this the golden rule of apologetics. I want to treat other people's positions as fairly and as accurately as I can because that's how I would want my viewpoints to be presented. So, this is not going to be a video where I am going to absolutely decimate members of the LDS church. Some of you may think I am being too charitable because I'm being too nice. I can live with that. Um, So with that said, how can we think through these two specific claims? Well, um, what we're going to do is first talk about some general principles of good research. And then we're going to apply those principles to evaluating these two very specific claims. Um, the first thing, I, I, the, my overall goal in many of my videos is to help train Christians to be balanced, healthy, and biblically mature, okay? Part of being those things is not overreacting. It's not just immediately getting in all of your emotions. And it's definitely not animating yourself and making a bunch of call-out videos, okay? If if we're going to defend the faith, a big part of that is, is not just having ready answers. It's also learning how to be an emotionally balanced m- and mature, healthy person, Christian, someone who manifests the fruit of the Holy Spirit, okay? So here's what we we ought to be doing instead, Um, asking questions, asking questions. There are so many people on my social media lately writing comments with so many assumptions. And what this immediately tells me when you do this is that um, you probably have not asked enough questions first. You've made a lot of assumptions. So the first thing you want to do when you're when you're doing research on something, you hear a claim on a YouTube video, you hear a claim from your pastor. What is the first thing that you do? You don't get all in your emotions or if you do, you wait for yourself to calm down first. You start asking questions. I wonder what he meant by that. I wonder. Um, if this is the first time he's ever said that, or if he's ever said that before, I wonder what his evidence is for that. I wonder how he came to that conclusion. I wonder if he could give me an example of that. I wonder if, I I wonder how he's defining that term. I wonder if he could explain that to me. So just a few of the kinds of questions that we could ask. Secondly, we can gather data. We need to go out and look. So if your pastor makes a claim. Maybe instead of gossiping about him, maybe you go make an appointment with him and you ask some of your questions. Maybe instead of going and jumping in a social media group, you just go to him directly. Uh, Gathering data can also look like what I've been doing for this series is I go watch a lot of interviews. I, I, I go look for what are called primary sources. I don't go to discernment blogs where they quote Dallas Jenkins. I make the effort, extra effort to go find the original interview where Dallas Jenkins said such and such thing, and I watch it in context in order to see what was really said and what the big idea was and that kind of thing. So you're going to have to gather some data. Third is you want to establish the truth using multiple witnesses. This is a very biblical principle, um, establishing the truth of the matter through two or three witnesses. So again, you're going to want to use primary sources. You're going to want to look for clarifying statements. If you are confused about something that was said, chances are other people were confused too. And chances are there's a clarifying statement somewhere. So make some effort to go look that up. Don't, again, just immediately jump to a conclusion based on hearsay of what somebody thinks they heard them. S- someone say, or it was on a discernment blog or whatever, go look up the material, confirm it through multiple sources, look for clarifying statements. Next, you can begin to draw some preliminary conclusions based on all of this data. Now, part of this involves being able to clarify or differentiate between opinions and facts, okay? Opinions, speculation, and data. I notice that a lot of people don't know how to do this. This It's a very important skill. So this might be something you have to work on. This might be something that you got to get a second opinion about. Uh, Maybe ask your spouse or um, a trusted friend or a spiritual uh, leader or pastor. But begin to draw preliminary conclusions based on the data. And by preliminary, I mean hold them loosely. Keep looking for more data. Put doubts in it. For a while put doubts in your conclusions while you are still looking for more facts next is keep your public comments measured accurate and fair think of this question if the other person who held this belief heard what you were saying would they say you are representing their position fairly do you even know enough about their position to restate it accurately. This is a very important skill, okay? And uh, my daughter Emily recently said, if we could just stop straw manning each other's positions, we might get to clarity or even unity a lot quicker. I totally agree with her. Um, I hear so much straw manning. And what a straw man is, is when you talk about another person's position, but you don't characterize it accurately. It's sort of a version of their position, but not the true position. And so it's able to be knocked over like a straw man really easily. That's what a straw man argument is. I hear this so much when I see on social media, on my social media, people talking about Roman Catholic positions. Almost never do people on my um, social media actually understand what Catholics believe. They, they hear it out there in the atmosphere somewhere, what they believe. This is also true of people in the New Apostolic Reformation. I hear all kinds of straw man arguments and, and statements and summaries of what people in the NAR believe that I just read. And I like, that's not even true. They don't believe that. That's not accurate. Um, so straw manning is a real problem. And I've seen a lot of this when it comes to the chosen. So make sure that you don't get in that trap. Make sure that your comments about other people's positions are measured, accurate, and fair. Next is be open to new data. Continue to look. Remember what I said about um, preliminary conclusions, okay? So you want to keep searching. You want to keep asking questions. You want to keep looking because especially if you're going to make statements publicly you want to make sure that you have done your due diligence okay and sometimes you miss it there since i posted um the first couple um streams on the chosen people have sent me more stuff i'm like oh i haven't seen this i've watched a lot of content related to the chosen but i'm still learning so we're in this together be open to new data and finally you are not that person's spiritual authority in other words you're not their elder you're not their pastor you're not their bishop you're not their priest you don't have spiritual jurisdiction over that person that you think is spouting you know on um on biblical beliefs so again if you're going to make public comments about it be fair be accurate okay and understand your position so hold yourself with an amount of humility, um, I I feel very uncomfortable to be honest. Um, making videos where I'm naming names about other people and and their um, what I consider troubling beliefs, because I'm not their priest, I'm not their bishop, I'm not their I'm not a spiritual authority over them. I'm not their elder. I'm just a woman on a small side of the internet trying to help other Christians think more carefully about the Bible. Okay, so be careful, be gracious. You could be wrong. You might not understand as much as you think. Okay. So those are just some basic principles of how to research, how to look into a claim, how to work it through. What are the steps I'm going to walk myself through in order to understand this claim better and potentially um, maybe talk about it with other people. Okay. Now let's apply Some of these principles to evaluating these two very specific claims that um, people have about Dallas Jenkins and the Chosen as it pertains to the LDS Church. So, again, claim number one is Dallas Jenkins is smuggling LDS theology into the TV series The Chosen. Okay, so if someone came to me and I heard this claim, step number one ask questions question I would be asking this person right out of the gate is can you give me an example where would I find a primary source for this how what is how did you arrive at this conclusion okay these would be some of my questions I would be asking I wouldn't just immediately accept the claim all right how specifically does this issue depicts LDS theology? Is that an accurate statement? Um, Is their example clear? You know, what kind of receipts are they providing? All right. So these would be some of the kinds of preliminary things I would do. And then I would go gather data. I would see if I could find the source for this, the primary source. I would see if it's available um, in two or three different places, look for clarifying statements, and then begin to draw careful conclusions, preliminary conclusions. So there is, um, we're going to look at a first example here that when I have asked people on my social media, can you give me an example of how Dallas Jenkins is smuggling LDS theology into the series? This is the most common example that people put forward. And it was a line, it all started a couple months ago when they released the trailer for season three of The Chosen. And there was a line in it that some people keyed into and said, oh, that is a quote from the Book of Mormon. It's an interesting claim, okay? So I'm gonna play the trailer so that you can see it for yourself. So we're practicing good research and then we'll come back and we will talk about it
1: all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest a scourge of false prophecy must stop jesus if you do not renounce your words we will have no choice but to follow the law of moses I am the law of Moses.
0: Okay, so that brought you uh, to the climactic line there of I am the law of Moses. So we hear these words out of Jesus's mouth. The scene is when he is in the synagogue of his hometown. And people within hours of the trailer being released started getting in very heated, very quickly. Um, and again, that, that's not the posture that we as Christians should, should adopt. In my opinion, um, we should be known as people who gather evidence. We're quick to listen and slow to speak. It doesn't mean that we don't do nothing, that we're just passive, but we also don't just simply jump into our emotions. Rather we stop, we pause, we think we start to gather data. Well, there wasn't much data that could be gathered at that point because, the episode hadn't even aired yet. So I made no public comment about it, even though people wrote in and asked me because for the simple fact that I couldn't gather proper data about it. So if I can't gather proper data, I can't see the scene in context. I'm not a hundred percent sure what's happening. So this statement Um, allegedly was from the Book of Mormon. It was from the book of 3rd Nephi, chapter 15. And it is in a section here. It says, and it came to pass that when Jesus had said these words, he perceived that there were some among them who marveled and wondered what he would concerning the law of Moses. Where they understand, they understood not saying the things, not the saying that old things had passed away and all things had become new. Okay, now the that's the broad context that's kind of at the top of the chapter. Scrolling down to verse eight, and again this is third Nephi fifteen. This is from the Book of Mormon. For behold. The covenant which I have made with my people is not all fulfilled, but the law which was given unto Moses hath an end in me. Behold, I am the law and the light. Look unto me and endure to the end, and ye shall live. For unto him that endureth to the end, I will give eternal life. So this is... The passage in question that allegedly Dallas Jenkins um, took from the Book of Mormon as as a way of smuggling in LDS theology was from this passage in 3rd Nephi chapter 15. I want to take a very quick moment to tell you about my friends at Birmingham Theological Seminary. As many of you know, I have been looking for advanced theological instruction that is both biblically faithful and very accessible and affordable. This is not easy in this day and age. Um, Now, personally, I was not able to uh, go to a seminary where I had to relocate. I'm I just am where I am. I'm not in a season in life where I could relocate. I needed to find a program that uh, had live instruction. And it was on Zoom, so I could see my professor face to face. I could talk to him. I could talk to the other students in my cohort. And that is one of the major reasons I chose Birmingham Theological Seminary. It's also the school where Monique is going and pursuing a Master of Arts in Public Theology, which is a very unique degree that not a lot of conservative seminaries have. The classes are rigorous, the schedules are flexible. The tuition is ridiculously affordable due to their generous donors and church partners. Now the professors at BTS are intensely committed to providing biblically faithful, non-woke theological education. I would say probably 90% of their faculty are also pastors and ministry professionals. They're not just ivory tower eggheads, they're in the trenches doing day-to-day ministry Another unique feature of BTS because um, they're not all a bunch of professional academics. At BTS, you get the benefits of a strong academic program, but focused on empowering you to do what God has called you to be. Even if that's being a better teacher to your kids, you want to have more education to lead your women's group um, or whatever you're doing in your local church. If you're ready to start your journey with faithful, accessible theological education, go check out Birmingham Theological Seminary and see if they might be a good fit for you. Now we're going to watch a section of the scene in its context. So if we were to um, think about the show and we're doing our research, uh, when the show dropped, I think it was episode three. Um, of season three, where this scene was contained, uh, where that famous line was, I am the law of Moses. So, we're going to watch just a, a, a little section of it. I'm going to give you enough to, to give you the context uh, so that you can see sort of what's happening. So, Jesus is in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. He goes home to visit his mother, and it's a high holy day. He goes to the synagogue, and because he's a visiting rabbi, he's asked to do the the reading that day, and the reading that day is from Isaiah 61, and this is the scene from Luke chapter 4, okay, but there's some embellishments here, so they, they, you know, it's not just Luke's account. Jesus is in the synagogue, and he stands up, and he reads Isaiah 61, and we don't get too much detail about What's happened? So this is Dallas Jenkins' Christian fiction, fan fiction, embellishment from his imagination and in cooperation with his scholar team of what something that would be plausible to have transpired uh, in that time. So we're gonna watch this scene now.
1: You may be the chosen seed of Abraham. You may be the people of the covenants. But that will not bring you my salvation. If you cannot accept that you are spiritually poor and captive in the same way that a Gentile woman and a Syrian leper recognize their need. If you do not realize that you need a year of the Lord's favor. And I cannot save you. Who do you think you are? This is what Hara talked about. That he even called himself the Messiah. Are you claiming to be the Messiah? Or are you merely claiming to speak for the Lord as a prophet? Yes. You are a false prophet. what? There is quite a thing to say. Jesus, maybe we should leave. Lazarus, you're his friend. You cannot be involved. know what the law of Moses We are all his friends, Aaron. We cannot say things like this. Jesus, stand up at once. Rabbi, please. Rafi, come with Jesus and me. We will leave, and you can all continue the service. Rabbi Benjamin has asserted false prophecy, and I cannot argue. You said you saw the miracle. He's saying only he can save us. He did not use those words. It's what I meant. Jesus, you're not helping. Stop He's saying we are not the holy ones chosen. Now, he did not say that. In words. A book of Moses But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, that same prophet shall die. Rabbi Benjamin, I beg of you. Not this, Lazarus.
0: It's fine. Jesus, they are going to...
1: Jesus, if you do not renounce your words, we will have no choice but to follow the law of Moses. I am the law of Moses.
0: Okay, so I, I know it was a long scene, but I wanted you to see the whole thing in context and um, to to think about it. Now, you get quite a little different perspective than just that one little soundbite that we saw in the trailer. So, as part of our data collection, um, we're looking at the whole thing in context. Okay, so we're not just looking at that one little statement and then comparing it to the Book of Mormon. Now. I think that um, as we're collecting our data, I'm not gonna I'm not going to come to any big conclusions yet. All right, that's a piece of data that we just looked at. Now, um, one of our steps in our research is to look for clarifying statements. Well, Dallas Jenkins has spoken in a number of interviews about this scene and <clears throat> how he wrote it. So we're gonna watch a very short clip here from an interview that he did where he talks about this scene of course i'm not
1: quoting from the book of mormon i've never read the book of mormon the first time i spent too much time not to, i shouldn't take too much time to any time on this was after people started saying i was quoting from the book of mormon so i went and checked it out i'm like actually i'm not it's not the same quote but even if it was it doesn't really matter um because I still stand by uh, by the quote um, you know who also said the same thing uh, Jesus, Charles Spurgeon, one of the great theologians of all time uh, evangelical theologian who said Christ is the law incarnate and uh, of course no one came out and publicly was saying Dallas Jenkins just took from Charles Spurgeon uh, but uh, here's the spoiler alert um, I wasn't taking from either of them it's not that revolutionary of a concept uh, which I'll explain in just a moment. Um, and uh, another thing is my consultants you know we have uh, you know a messianic jewish rabbi and a, uh, a evangelical scholar new testament scholar and they read my scripts i have pastors and i have friends and and uh, who, who we take this stuff very very seriously and and anytime jesus is speaking we think you know we want to make sure that we reflect the character of jesus in the gospels they had no problem with it um and so when people are saying uh, trying to explain to me why it's wrong. Uh, d- trust me, we've already got, we've we, we've already thought through these things. We take these things seriously in advance, um, and uh, so someone just commenting on YouTube isn't just going to make us go, "Oh my goodness, we never thought of that." um so here, here's i do believe that it's theologically plausible if uh, depending on what, what word what word you want to use but but it, we do believe that it's theologically accurate christ is the word christ is above all he created all he's the fulfillment of the law he's the replacement uh, of the law now that's not to do away with the law he didn't do away with the law in fact he actually says that but christ is the ultimate authority and um so when he says i am the law it's kind of the equivalent. It's In many ways, it's a figure of speech, of course, because Christ didn't actually say these exact words in scripture. We don't know if he said something like that or not, Uh, but we think that it's certainly possible. But it's like when an ultimate authority goes to someone's house, and let's say they're confronting a citizen, and the citizen says, I'm going to call the police. I want to talk to the police. If that person says, bro, I am the police. Now, they're not actually saying they're the, the police. They're saying, I am your ultimate authority. What you think is the ultimate authority. What you are trying to appeal to, that's me. I'm replacing what you put in your mind as the ultimate law.
0: Okay, so that is um, one aspect of Dallas Jenkins' response to this, this claim, this, this accusation, assertion, that he is smuggling in LDS theology, This is the most common example, is this one line from The Chosen. Um, I thought it was interesting. Also, I want to share with you as part of our data collection is this post that Dallas made more recently on Facebook, on his Facebook account. He says, the sermon I read that informed most of the big synagogue scene in episode three of season three of The Chosen is this brilliance from John MacArthur. The sermon title, Jesus' Return to Nazareth, Rejection by the People. Um, I think it's interesting that people are so quick to make the accusation against Dallas of taking something from the Book of Mormon. He claims he never read that part of the Book of Mormon. Um, He claims that he got some inspiration potentially from Charles Spurgeon or that Charles Spurgeon has a a quote to a very similar quote. Um, he says his real inspiration was a John MacArthur sermon. So John MacArthur, I think, we're on fairly stable ground there. So again, I am not in a position, I am not a spiritual authority over Dallas Jenkins. He's a brother in the Lord. I'm not going to call him a liar. That That's not my jurisdiction. I'm not an elder in his church. I'm a YouTuber. Okay, so part of our process here is kind of Knowing our lane, knowing our place, as far as I can tell, um, based on the data that I've gathered about this this situation, um, I'm going to take Dallas at his word that he's never read that in the Book of Mormon. He had no knowledge of this line from the Book of Mormon. It could be purely of a coincidence. He says he got inspiration from a John MacArthur sermon, and I do think it's interesting that there are a there are people who um, are conservative evangelicals who actually agree with Dallas that this is a plausible line. This is just one example that I found um, of some YouTubers. Uh, they're messianic. They kind of have a messianic Jewish perspective. I think one of them has like a PhD in, in messianic Judaism. And um, they had the opinion, I'm going to play this clip uh, just a couple minutes of their analysis of the scene from a Messianic Jewish perspective and what they had to say about it. So just to speak to this, I am the law of Moses because so many people are up in arms about this. Yeah. But so, I mean, first of all, he's saying he's not speaking English. Meaning, meaning, law here is is the Torah. It's this, and Torah means really instruction right, right. or even revelation. I mean, mm-hmm. he's saying he is the one. He's mm-hmm. identifying himself with God's instructions to Israel. Right. And in the first century, there are all these different opinions mm-hmm. among different rabbinic circles and and even Sadducean circles and Herodian circles and Zealot circles on how to live out the Torah of Moses, how to follow God's instructions Mm -hmm. correctly. Right. So that's just one example of, you know, other scholars see this differently. So the bottom line of my research so far on this particular claim that Dallas Jenkins is using the Chosen to smuggle in LDS theology, what's your example The primary example, most frequent example I've I've been sent that I'm reading is this one line from episode three of season three of The Chosen, I am the law of Moses. Quite frankly, after the research I've done, I'm I'm just not convinced. I do not think this is a slam dunk heretical statement. Um, To meet the burden of proof that The Chosen is a Trojan horse for LDS theology in this instance, I think at best, this is maybe like one of those issues. It's like, huh, okay, it's a piece of data. I'm gonna put it up here on the shelf. I'm gonna keep my eye on this, all right? Um, but I think it's it's a stretch, to be honest, to say that this is unequivocally a Trojan horse for LDS theology. I think given the context it is much more plausible the the analysis of of what's given here in this, this from these messianic Jewish scholars um, is much more plausible in the whole context of the scene. I think that what Jesus is saying is, if you really want to know how to obey Torah, follow me. That that's what I think that the line is. I'm going to take Dallas Jenkins at his word. I'm not going to call him a liar that he's never read that in the Book of Mormon. He's not really read the Book of Mormon. He's he's admitted in interviews he's read parts of it. Um, but as have I, has, as have many Christians, have read parts of it because our LDS friends wanted to draw our attention to something or recommended that we read a certain passage. But I just don't think the burden of proof has been met, that this is a slam dunk example of a Trojan horse for LDS theology. Now, again, we could keep it open as a possibility, an open conversation. We'll put it up on the shelf. We'll notice it. We'll continue to gather Data, But I do find it interesting that I try to do some preliminary kind of cursory research. Are there LDS official entities claiming that this line is from the Book of Mormon? Like the people who believe in the Book of Mormon and advocate for the Book of Mormon, do they see this line as being compatible? Uh, Like, oh, look, Dallas is starting to bring in LDS theology into the chosen because there are many LDS people that like the show. I, I'm not seeing that. I if you have those receipts, send them to me because, again, I'm going to be open to more data. Um, but I looked at several LDS-funded news sources and I couldn't find anything where they were suggesting, yeah, Dallas Jenkins. He's he's starting to incorporate our point of view into the show. Um, but this controversy did make me think about a, a question that we could be asking. And that is, if I were a member of the LDS church, are there aspects of the chosen that contradict my theology of Jesus or agree with my theology of Jesus? I think that that could be a helpful question to ask. Like, are there scenes that are in the chosen that I as an LDS member see as like, wow, this is really outside my, my, my belief system. I was talking to my friend, Melissa Doherty about this question. She had a couple of ideas. I got a couple of ideas too. I'm going to keep my eye on this issue, but again, that's just something to kind of put up here on the shelf. We're going to notice it. We're going to think about it. We're going to, we're going to keep our eye on it. Let me get into kind of a second, a common example that people have posted on my social media as an example to illustrate the claim. Dallas Jenkins is smuggling LDS theology into the series. And that is the depiction. There were a couple of scenes in season two where Jesus appears to be writing and rehearsing the Sermon on the Plain that's described in the Gospel of Luke. And the question that many people have asked is, does this call into question Jesus' omniscience? And is this an evidence of LDS theology? Well, the first thing we want to do is begin to gather data, look for any sort of responses, because chances are, if a lot of people are asking this question, you know, the person has responded. So, sure enough, I'm going to share with you a Facebook post that Dallas did Jenkins did recently in response to this very issue. He says, um, this is from a Facebook post dated January 11th, 2023. I occasionally see questions related to our portrayal of Jesus in terms of his omniscience. Do we portray him as knowing everything all the time? Does Dallas hold the foundational belief that Jesus is God? Here's his response. There is no evidence that Jesus walked around knowing everyone's thoughts all the time. And there is, in fact, ample evidence that he didn't always know everything. Unless you think he was lying when he asked where Lazarus was buried or when he asked who touched him. There are, in fact, conservative Bible scholars who love Jesus just as much as the Jesus. Was God and knew everything at all times? Crowd who reject the God goggles perspective and hold fast to Philippians 2 6. Uh, we'll look at that in just a second. We even get equal criticism from both sides. Some say they don't like the scenes where Jesus doesn't know everything, such as the servant prep scene that caused brains to fry. Some say they don't like the Jesus with god goggles on all the time welcome to 2000 years of debate about the hypostatic union now the hypostatic union this is krista for those on the podcast i'm stopping reading the post for a minute the hypostatic union is the classical christian belief that jesus was fully god and fully human okay so hypostatic union is just a big fancy theology word to depict that very basic idea. Okay, going back to Dallas's post here, which for the record, I do believe. How do we reconcile that? My personal belief and approach in the show is that Jesus was often granted wisdom from his father that could only come from God on the throne, which allowed him to know things in certain gospel stories. So I'm thinking maybe an example of this here, this is Krista, um, would be when he said he saw Nathaniel under the tree. And that's kind of a word of knowledge there. I think in maybe that's John chapter two or John chapter four. Um, Let's see. Uh, Another example would be when he was healing the paralyzed man. Uh, He, 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 the text says that he knew the thoughts of the Pharisees. And then he, he replies like some of you would say X, Y, Z, you know, that sort of a thing. But there are now I'm going back to the post. There are clearly other times that Jesus didn't know. And in fact, specifically says there are some things that only the father knows that now I'm going to say this is Krista, for example, um, the often cited passage that only the father knows the days and the times of Jesus's return, that the son doesn't even know those things. How do we account for that? Okay. Uh, Finishing up Dallas's comment here. There are some commentators on social media who believe they can settle 2,000 years of in-depth debate about this issue with a single YouTube comment. I'm not quite that confident, but I am the one making the show, so my attempt at it is what people will see if they choose to watch. I suppose we'll find out in heaven who was right or wrong, and if those who were wrong fall under the category of heretical. My guess is the ones Jesus will be most hard on are the ones who publicly claimed they had it all figured out. Okay. So let's look really quick at the verse that Dallas mentions. So we'll take a look on Bible Gateway at Philippians chapter two. We'll just pull it up here. So this is a very famous passage. It's probably an early hymn. In, in the first century church. And um, let's kind of start it here in verse five. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of, So the question here that um Dallas is alluding to is what does it mean to say that Jesus in the very was in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the form of an, the very nature of a servant. So the question is Is what does this mean? Did he divest himself of his deity, um, and that he was only a human. No, um, he did not. Uh, rather, the historic Christian belief is that when when God came through the incarnation, through the second person of the Trinity, He took on human form, but He still maintained all of His deity. But that He was um, leaving beside His glory, if you will, to come as a human person. And so in that way, uh, Jesus is one person with two natures. I believe that's the technical way we're supposed to talk about it. Um, and historically speaking, um, Jesus has had access to both of those natures at, at the same time, um, that he's one integrated whole person, okay, one person in two natures. So this brings us to these scenes where Jesus is seen rehearsing uh, for the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, quite frankly, I found these scenes a little odd. Uh, if if I was watching with kids or, or people that have low biblical literacy, this is definitely something I would want to have a discussion about. Um, to be honest, I, I, I think that Some of Dallas's descriptions in his Facebook post are not terribly sophisticated. Um, I get the spirit of what he's saying is that this is ultimately a mystery. I agree. And he has to make artistic decisions about how to depict things. The way that he is conceiving of Jesus's humanity and its relationship to his deity strikes me, and I could be wrong about this, um, but it strikes me as kind of a version of an ancient heresy called Nestorianism. And Nestorianism was an error, or is the name of an error that divides the two natures to the point that one of the natures doesn't know what the other one is doing, okay? Okay. And um, before we're too hard on Dallas about this, though, I would say that whenever I have taught on the incarnation, um, and we look at the verse where Jesus makes the statement um, about only the father knows the days and the times of his return. And I ask people in the audience, how do you work this out? How is it that Jesus can be fully God and not know the day and the time of his return. 90% of the time when I teach on this, people respond with, oh, well, he was just talking about in his humanity that his humanity didn't know, which is the exact same thing that Dallas is saying. So I think that we it's important to differentiate here between an error or even a potential heretical belief that somebody has. I had heretical beliefs about the Trinity until my friend, Ken samples instructed me on a more excellent understanding of the Trinity. Okay. So historically, the way Christians have dealt with this is to differentiate between people who hold erroneous beliefs ignorantly. Um, Maybe they haven't been taught. Maybe they are being sloppy in their language um maybe they've just never had anybody sit down with them and help them study the matter in detail um and uh versus a person who their elders have met with them the people that are in spiritual authority have met with them and um have talked to them and tried to instruct them and read books with them and look at the scriptures with them and all of this and they are resistant and they are saying No, firmly this is what i believe that starts to become an area where historically christians then engage in you know um more of like church discipline acts and you know we don't historically (laughs) people don't anathematize each other um simply without investigating without evidence without experts being involved okay there is just such this this rush to anathematize people because it's so easy now because of social media platforms because of platforms like youtube that all of us seem to think that we're in spiritual authority over everybody and um truly it's that is an issue for again local church elders to handle so um is Dallas Jenkins in a heretical belief a hundred percent? Do I know this to be a fact? No, I'm saying that his, his views strike me as being out of step with um, how Christians have historically talked about these things and I could be wrong. Okay. And I am not in spiritual authority over him. Um, does it cause me a little bit of concern? Yes. It is definitely something that I look at as being a piece of data um, that I'm going to keep my eye on. OK, um, but at least I understand his point of view. That He kind of has this view that sometimes the human nature um, doesn't know what the, the Jesus's divinity and his deity know, which is peculiar because, uh, again, the historic position is that um, that Jesus was united he had two natures in one person. Now, if you want to know more about this, I do have a video on my YouTube channel. I'll try to link to it in the description where I do a teaching on the incarnation. I also uh, did a discussion with my friend Ken Samples on the incarnation that I will try to link to as well. But is this a potential piece of data that uh, Dallas Jenkins is smuggling in LDS theology? I don't, believe so now this could be consistent with LDS theology that could be a possibility but I think that based on Dallas's statements he's kind of taking the average Christian approach of how does Jesus not know the day and the hour of his return well it's because uh he's speaking out of his human nature that seems to be what he's saying and again most Christians I've I've talked to in my 30 years of teaching theology, uh, the vast majority of them hold that position as well. And it's it's a position of ignorance. And so again, it's it's a little troubling to me. Um, if that is his strong belief and he's had instruction and he's resistant, You know, that's a little bit more problematic for me. But right now I'm just gonna kind of notice it. I'm gonna put it here as a piece of data, something to keep my eye on. And I would definitely have conversations with people in my life who are just learning and they're on the learning curve of, uh, biblical literacy. If they have low biblical literacy, definitely would want to have that conversation with them. Okay. Uh, I will be continuing to watch the chosen, uh, and I will continue to produce, uh, more content on the chosen because I've had such great feedback on these. Uh, I think these are helpful, helping people think it through and give people some reasonable analysis. Uh, rather than reactionary analysis. Okay, I'm going to put a bookmark right there. We're going to come back in the third installment of this teaching series and evaluate the second claim uh, related to LDS concerns. We'll talk about uh, the claim, Dallas Jenkins thinks LDS people worship the same Jesus that we do as historic Christians. So we'll give that a full treatment next time in the, In the meantime, uh, please share this, this podcast with a friend, particularly if you have a friend who really loves the show, um, and you know, maybe needs some help having some more, um, analytical thinking about it from, um, you know, just a more balanced perspective. Okay. With that, we will see you next time. Good night and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your
1: review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube.
0: Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.